Shrinks Wrap is brought to you by West Coast Mindfulness Institute, a networking group for mindfulness-oriented clinicians. Shrinks Wrap is a psychology podcast where we introduce you to leading clinicians and thinkers and their personal journeys through the field. While we hope you enjoy this dive into the psyche, please note that this podcast is not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. To learn more about us or to find a therapist, visit wcminstitute.net. Welcome, everybody, to a new podcast. You're in for a treat. We have Lynn Benson, all the way from Melbourne, Australia, sitting here with me. She uh, came in uh, from a long trip. She's been traveling uh, for weeks, um, managed to get COVID and survive COVID on her trip. And now she's quarantined long enough where I can actually be in the same room with her. And we're here in my, my little studio. Uh, doing a recording here. Uh, Lynn Benson and I go back quite a long ways. Um, Lynn, how, what's the year that we first met? Do you remember? I can't remember if it was 2006 or 2007. I decided to go to an intensive hypnosis workshop in San Francisco and we were sitting next to each other and we've, we connected and we started a friendship and um, we've been friends ever since and we've been running and we ran workshops for a long time on mindfulness and Jim you actually introduced me to mindfulness it was a new uh, concept in Australia it wasn't widely known and that's how I actually found out about mindfulness and you know you introduced me to the idea which which well, I took on well yeah. thank you well I really really appreciate that and you know you're an incredibly smart talented and lovely human being and uh, we're, we're, we're great friends but we've been great colleagues and and I think you don't realize this, but you've been in a trance in that, since 2006. I put you in a trance, <laughs> and the trance was that you, you were going to have to uh, work with me for years, Very teaching awesome. workshops in remote places. <laughs> and uh, let's let's discuss some of the places where we did workshops. Remember, this is the list. So but, I think the first, I came to a workshop that you ran in Burma, that's right. in Myanmar. That's right. And um, on that, which was a fabulous trip. And on that trip, you said to me, I think you said to me, we should do this together. Yes. And so then we set about organising one in Port Douglas, which is in far north Queensland. That was the first one we did. How would you describe Port Douglas? We have, you know, listeners in different parts of the world, actually. And, of course, some, <coughs> some from Australia, they don't need to know what Port Douglas is like. But for most Yanks, Americans, describe Port Douglas. What would you say? How would you so it's a, it, it's a... It's a bit of a tourist town, but it's it's a very beautiful part of Australia in far north Queensland. It's right on the Great Barrier Reef. And it's also um, where the Daintree Forest meets the Great Barrier Reef and it's the only place in the world where two World Heritage Sites meet. And we had a fabulous time yeah, taking people from from America and from Australia around Port Douglas. So when we used to run workshops together. It was a cultural retreat as well as a mindfulness learning retreat. Yeah, we really learned about the place. I know we some of the fun places, Cappadocia, we're in Turkey. We went hot air ballooning. Hot air ballooning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, you're going to learn in this podcast that yours truly, like yours truly has a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a fear of balloons. <clears throat> not, not the kind that, you know, helium <laughs> balloons, but the ones you get up in and you are Levitating in air with just a balloon to keep you alive, uh, <laughs> and twenty people <laughs> in a basket. Yeah, so I was, I was the most uh, the least relaxed person in the balloon. Um, 
But um, I was just really happy when we landed on terra firma afterwards. <laughs> on and the back of a truck. <laughs> the basket landed on the back of the truck. So we stayed yes. in a cave hotel in yes. Turkey. We've done some amazing trips. We went to Peru. I read Machu Picchu. Stayed in the Machu Picchu. We stayed in the Sacred Valley. We went to Bali. We've done a retreat in Bali. New Zealand. Yes. Yeah. We, we were just, uh, we actually, yeah, we went to Bali. We had a... Somebody gone up, that's Yiddish for steel, uh, stole uh, some of our ideas from our workshop, but we had a great experience there. It's on conflict resolution, remember? In conflict, I do remember. yeah, yeah. I do remember. We had to overcome that conflict, but we did. Um, but, we, <laughs> but somebody stole our ideas in our workshop and replicated it afterwards. But uh, And venue. And venue and everything else. Yeah. Um, but most people are good and honest and mindful and, and haven't stolen our ideas and thoughts. And we actually created a bit of a following. So some people came to many of our workshops and then still go to your workshops when you come to Australia. Yeah. Well, you, you, you were a great teaching partner and Lynn and I put so much heart and soul into every workshop. We, we would, um, I think we're both a bit, at least speak for myself, very perfectionistic. Yeah. So if there's flaws in this uh, podcast, you can blame Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> I don't no. think so. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, we would both, we would just put our, <laughs> just, I take the full blame. Uh, but in our in our work together, we were very meticulous about preparing and, and over-preparing and, you know, every detail and trying to make sure it was special exercises for participants, making sure they had a cultural experience that they learned not only about the topic at hand, and to mention some of the topics we used to teach. Uh, so we did one in Peru on pain management, yeah. one, using mindfulness for pain management, right. which we, we did the one in Bali on conflict resolution. Um, we did the one in Port Douglas, I think, on relationships, That's right. if I remember. Um, what was the one in New Zealand? I can't remember. I think it was similar, yeah, and and. Uh, and relationships. We also did one on trauma. Remember, we did the one on trauma together, the, the trauma one. One of the ones in Australia was on trauma. So okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, but anyway, we did, we did a number of them. And there are two societies in Australia that Lynn uh, has been a member of. I'm not sure if you're selective or not in those, but the Australian Psychological Society and the ASH, uh, the Hypnosis Society in Australia. And so those were two groups we tended to to work with. And Lynn was is was highly regarded um, as a trainer, and uh, people loved listening to her present. And we just really worked well together, riffed together, and developed a very deep connection through helping people and healing people. And um, I think when you're co-facilitating and you're in a very uh, you know intense environment, we had physicians there, we had mostly therapists, psychologists. Um, different types of folks who are healers, but you know when you're holding that space for everybody, um, you care so deeply about the participants. But then it forces you to look at yourself. And every topic we would teach, we would, we would also spend time looking at it for ourselves personally. How would this benefit us personally? Yeah. If it didn't pass that test, we typically didn't teach it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, this podcast, you know, you wouldn't know so far. It's not about me and, and Lynn, uh, although it is, it's really about my um, how much an I am of Lynn in terms of her, uh, a lot of her different areas of expertise. And one that we're going to talk about today 
is mindful parenting. And I've been trying to rope Lynn into doing this for how long now? A while. A long while. I've been roping, trying to rope her into, um, first of all, coming to, to, uh, to Berkeley for six years now, where we are recording this. But also to, uh, uh, to, do, to talk about mindful parenting, because she would run these workshops uh, in this beautiful beach area in her, near her home uh, in the suburbs of Melbourne. And uh, this beautiful setting on the, on the water, which is to die for. Uh, I always wanted to teach in that setting. It never quite happened. Yeah. But, you know, I might, I might want to do that. Still still. There. I yeah. might want to come back and do that. Still yeah. 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 They still have that same venue there. Though. Yeah. It's beautiful. So, so Lynn, I just want to talk a little bit more about your history. Okay. So, sure. um, first of all, um, uh, I know you had a really important mentor in your life. Right, uh, in terms of uh, graduate school, yeah, and your training, who's uh, well known. Can you speak to that a little bit? Uh, Moshe, you know, talking about Moshe, yeah, yeah Moshe. Yeah. So yeah, Moshe Lang. I started working with him in the early nineteen eighties, and I was studying and working at the same time. And um, he's very, he's really inspirational. He's a man in his eighties now, but he's still working. He does a lot of work with Holocaust survivors, and um, he basically inspired me to go back and finish my postgraduate studies and mentored me through that. So he was a really big influence and still is in my life. We're still great friends. Yeah, talk, can you talk a little bit about his his approach, his work, and what inspired you about it? So he's a legend, you know, in terms of... Uh, he's a very natural healer. Mm-hmm. He's a great storyteller. His background is Israeli, so he's very natural and upfront and, you know, what you see is what you get. And he works with people on a very genuine base level, like he doesn't sit behind a desk. He works in very casual clothes. His whole approach is to make people feel, I don't know whether this is deliberate or not, but that is my understanding, to make people feel held in the space and very comfortable as soon as they walk through the door with him. Mm-hmm. And so his room is full of very low-key but very beautiful artefacts. He's very into Japanese Zen um, influence. And he is someone that I've, you know, I've always looked up to and always aspired to be like because he's so natural and genuine and very, very smart. And he, he's a good healer. He listens and he understands at a very deep level, you know, what people are going through and he cares deeply about his clients. So, yeah, he's, he's been a great mentor for me. How would you, what, you know, there's uh, so many ways that we can heal and have an impact and he had a huge impact on his, his clients but also on you. And what, what have you taken away from your training with him, your time with him? What, what did you use uh in your own work your own craft after working with him closely knowing him i think i think um the bottom line for me working working with him and under him and he was my supervisor for about 10 years my clinical supervisor is just to listen to the i'll never forget this uh he said to me a very very long time ago to listen to the music in the story that someone's telling you so you listen to the background music of what they were saying, not just the words they were saying, but to really 
focus on the feeling that you were getting from the music in this story. And that had a really big impact on me. And I started, I think I started to listen differently after I heard that phrase because mm. it really resonated with me. Yes. And so you'll never see him sitting behind a desk or, you know, with, you know, amazing books behind him. He's just who he is, very natural, and that's the approach that I liked to take when I was working, yeah. If there's anybody in the world, and I mean this, who I'd want to ask questions about being about being a parent or you, uh, and your ability to, on your own, uh, integrate mindfulness and parenting and teach parents how to be more mindful as parents has been extraordinary. And I know you had these workshops you put together on your own without me, by the way, because I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't help you with them. Um, but they were very popular, yeah. highly in demand. Everybody wanted to hear yeah. you teach and present. And I know you did it many, many times. And you had your own materials. Um, and um, nobody sold them as far as I know, right? No one's looking to sell. Yeah. I've been yeah. asked... Yeah. to teach therapists yeah. uh, many times. And this is what I what we're going to do here. The audience we have in this podcast is both therapists, but also yeah. uh, just lay folks, yeah. you know, the regular folks, smart, interested, curious people who we get really nice questions and feedback from. And we have a lovely growing podcast audience. And um, there's a lot of parents out there and clinicians out there, both. And some are both. They're parents and clinicians like me. And, so I'm going to start from the beginning. So um, in, in your own mind, let's just define mindfulness the way you would define it. How would you define mindfulness? And how would you define it in terms of being a mindful parent? What is being a mindful parent? Yeah, like? so to me, being a mindful parent is it's, it's actually being with your children instead of doing with your children. Mm -hmm. It's about the ability to slow down and listen and actually be in the same space as whatever's going on in the moment with your child because we're so busy, society's so crazy, we're all focused on out there, you know, getting to the next activity, all the things we feel we need to do and especially with parents, <coughs> excuse me, especially with parents these days, mostly working jobs so the parents are not so much always at home when the kids come home from school. <laughs> I think sometimes parents don't understand or feel guilty about the fact that they're not there enough and feel that they have to fill the space with everything that's going to advance their child, make them smarter, make them more sporty, make them more creative, make them whatever. And we've lost the ability to just be with our kids largely. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, and people, us parents, are scared that they're not giving their kids enough, especially if they're working away from home and they feel like they're not spending enough time with their children. They get frightened that they're doing something wrong and they also sometimes make the mistake of thinking that their kids need them to be their friend. Mm -hmm. Kids don't need any more friends. They've got friends outside in their own peer groups. They need us to be the person that sets the example and shows them how to manage big feelings, especially when they're little. And that's what I see as the most important thing that parents can do, is actually show, show their kids what it's like to manage big feelings. Mm -hmm. And we don't do it by shouting at them. We do it by helping our children 
hold that space when they've got the big feelings. That makes and, sense. And showing them how to negotiate that in a way that makes sense to the age of the child. So can you, you know, you've heard many stories. I know you had your own practice for years. You've taught this workshop for years. Uh, you've been a parent. You've been, you're a grandparent. Um, yeah. And um, in a lot of, you know, a lot of clinicians in Australia and, uh, you know, and hopefully outside of Australia as we're listening to this podcast uh, would be interested in, in the things you're offering. And could you share any stories of um, when you work with parents or kids or help kids, you know, through the parents by helping them become more mindful? Is there anything that stands out for you as far as a story or an experience to stay with you all these years where um, being a mindful parent made a difference? Anything that stands out uh, from when you're... Sure. Um, I, what I, one of the things that I used to do, because I used to run the workshops on my own, and in Australia, probably the same here, <coughs> clinicians have to do X number of hours of professional development yes. a year to keep their licence. So one of the things that I used to do was offer to any other professional to come in and work with me teaching um, the program, just, you know, a one-off, they could get professional development hours out of it and I'd get, a, you know, a support person in the background, yeah. you know, which was always helpful. I didn't always do that, but people used to love to, you know, because they got it for free, I didn't yeah. charge them. They used to just come along and be part of the, a participant but also help me on the side. And one, one woman who I'm actually still friends with, she had a a boy who was on the autism spectrum mm -hmm. and she was a single mum and she realised that she was gay so she was in a gay relationship so there was a lot, a yeah. lot going on. Right. And she had a pre-teenage son who's I think in his 20s now at least and um, she was struggling with parenting him. And so one of the things that I know that she took away from the workshop was actually what I was talking about before about not trying to fill up his day every day, you know, make sure he's got doing every activity that's available under the sun, but actually just spend some time with him. And she came back a couple of weeks later and she told me that for the first time in a long time she went, I'm going to cry, she went for okay. a walk on the beach with him. And I don't think that they've done that in a really long time. And she said the difference in the kid when they got home from the walk, they, she said, we didn't even necessarily have to talk. We were just being together. And so they went for a lovely walk on our beautiful beach in Melbourne and she started doing things like him with him rather than rushing him off to this activity, that which his brain couldn't, you know, he couldn't manage it anyway. Yeah. He was overstimulated enough. He needed yeah. to, to settle. Yeah. And that made it was very simple thing mm -hmm. but it made an enormous difference to their relationship yeah. and to him that's to that, is, that is that is beautiful and um this idea of really being present being the moment being in nature uh not being an activity um allowing that to create resonance and connection in a bond that could be nonverbal as well as verbal yeah it's really powerful i want one of the things that i i'm curious about um in 
you know, we didn't over prepare for this because we've known each other a long time. So we've been preparing yeah, by you, not preparing Mike. for a long time. Thanks so much. <laughs> no, but you wouldn't know by listening so far. You'd be great. She she said, yeah, I said she post said COVID. <laughs> she goes, post-COVID, I'll just jump in and do it. You know, if it's rubbish, you can you can delete it. And I said it won't be. Um, as I know, everything you do is really jet lagged. Yeah, jet lagged. Uh we she came in at 2 a.m. last night, uh, you know, from uh through Canada. Anyway, long story, <clears> I won't go into it. But um all I know is that I didn't know luggage could take an hour to get from the plane to <laughs> to the to the uh, you know to the carousel. But anyway, um, but what we can what I want to ask you is that there's a lot of uh, and I know this is true in Australia as well as here. Uh, and I'm going to ask you about Australia and the United yeah. States. I always find your your insights interesting and, and humorous and, and, and accurate mostly. Um, but this a lot of parents right now are struggling with um, how to handle kids who are non-binary or gender fluid. And I know this may be putting on the spot a little bit, but That's okay. it, but it's it's something I've been asking other people, yeah. and because I I really I'm trying to learn more about it. Yeah. And there's a lot of a lot of parents out there, yeah. and I who are who have kids who are um, who they at first think are struggling with mental health issues, anxiety, yeah. depression, panic disorders, uh, other things, and a lot of it has to do with their struggle to come out as as who they really are. And um, it's been challenging for parents. It's been challenging for teachers. It's been challenging for therapists. Yeah. Not just, you know, I joked on another podcast. I mean, I struggle with the pronouns and I try my best. Yeah. But I really do them, they. I don't, I don't <coughs> it really, and I, I mean that not to mock it just because it's hard for me to track sometimes. Well, yeah. using a, a plural for a singular is, is tricky. It, grammatically, it's, we, we, it doesn't resonate. And so we find it really difficult. But the, these kids, like, uh, you know, I'm of an age where I had never heard of the term non-binary. I didn't yeah. actually understand what it was. I understand what it is now. But I wonder, one of the things that I wonder about is what happened to people who felt non-binary 50 years ago? Yeah, yeah. What the hell happened to those people? Right. Because it can't be a new invention. It's, no. a, real, it's a real thing. And um, in Australia it's a really big thing it's actually difficult to talk to people now who don't know someone who's got a child who's come out as non-binary and thank goodness you know I don't know so much about America and I'm a bit worried about what's going to happen in the future here but in Australia it's completely acceptable peer-to-peer I think people might you know the grandparents in my generation are struggling a little bit with it because it's so it's such a foreign idea. Like, who knew yeah. that there was such a thing? But um, and it's not about sexuality; it's about gender identification. And for me to to have someone in your life who was born female, identified, but doesn't feel female, has never really felt female since they were a young teenager, but doesn't want to be male. What do you do with that? Yeah. Like, you just love them, obviously. And accept them, but you know it's so courageous of these kids, in my opinion, yeah. to come out and say this is this is who I am, yeah, and this is my new name, and I don't want to be called she, I don't want to be called he anymore, I want to be called they or them. Yes. So it's I think it's a, as a society we're struggling with the whole idea of it. Yeah, there's these <clears throat> two contrary forces going on. On one hand, you know, the United States is uh, 
so conflictual about so many things, as you probably know. I mean, on one hand, we're very we're in the Bay Area here, where it's very progressive. There's rainbow flags, and yeah, people are very accepting of of those differences. Of you can be who you are, and love and accept it for who you are. That how you identify yourself is is uh, should be celebrated and accepted, and you should be loved regardless of whatever you however you see yourself or you want to present yourself to the world. And then we're also living in a culture that's uh, very backwards here. You know, we talked about, you know, Roe v. Wade after 50 years, we're the only Western yes. country yeah. where women can have control of their own reproductive rights. Yeah. And now they're going to, some, there's some talk about Supreme Court going after uh, gay marriage and trying to um, uh, criminalize gay marriage, like they're criminalizing abortion. And so there's this uh, regressive uh, pattern in our culture, yeah. uh, which is repressive, you know, the opposite. So we have two uh, countervailing forces. One is, you know, a lot of movement toward acceptance and, and uh, you know, uh, you can have gay marriage in the United States. Most countries now have that. Um, San Francisco is the first city in the United States to uh, allow for legal gay marriage. Yeah. Um, California is not the rest of the United States, as you probably know from traveling around. Um, but that being said, you know, it's a very challenging time to be, uh, particularly, I think, a lot of young Women and girls who have watched this Roe v. Wade decision are concerned, or people who are out as gay or uh, gender fluid or yeah, non-binary yeah. are seeing this pattern, yeah. and they're worried about repressive responses. Um, what are your thoughts? Is uh, somebody coming into the United States from the outside? What do you What do you think about? West Coast Mindfulness Institute is a networking group for mindfulness-oriented clinicians who are dedicated to learning together and collaborating to better serve our community. WCMI hosts educational events for both clinicians and members of the public to promote learning, growth, and self-awareness. If you're seeking support, follow the link in this episode where our referral specialists will connect you to the right therapist to meet your needs. Visit us at wcminstitute.net. I'm worried. Yeah. I'm appalled. I'm deeply concerned about the impact that this is going to have on people who are already marginalised, who are already struggling, who are already feeling that they don't fit into society. If who you are gets criminalised, where where does that leave you? If If the place where you live thinks that, who you are is is uh, the committing a criminal offence by just being who you are, and you can't help who you are. Um, you're born how you are, and interestingly, there's a person in my life who's non-binary, and when they had um, they've started on testosterone treatment mm-hmm. um, to re- to repress the female hormones, yeah. and it was interesting the results that came back. They've already got very high levels of testosterone, yeah. which was really interesting, really interesting, because it, it didn't occur to me to even think think about that, but that's how it came back. That's so that was really interesting. Yes. Yeah. So I'm deeply, deeply concerned for my American friends and colleagues and their families because if you've got anyone who's already struggling, who's already got their own demons and, you know, maybe having panic attacks every time they think about who they want to be versus who they actually are. Yeah. What, what's going to happen to these 
people, these young people. Yeah, we're talking about, we're, you know, because choice goes beyond reproductive rights. Choice goes to how you identify yourself mm-hmm. and to be able to, to express love, whether it's same sex, other sex, some fluid combination of both. You know, there should be some autonomy and freedom to have choice, yeah. you know, to not be judged or marginalized from that. I would be accurate. Yeah, you know, it's not illegal or criminalized at this point to be gay or non-binary. But <clears throat> when you see something like reproductive rights has been uh, an assumed right for 50 years for the Constitution suddenly being, you know, uh, criminalized or outlawed in some states, it makes you question, you know, and, uh, yeah. uh, where this is going. Just our uh, top, um, Clarence Thomas, who uh, is a controversial Supreme Court figure, was talking about contraception, you know, being perhaps outlawed or banned. Uh, talking about other things like this. So where does it stop? And and I think that um, this isn't a political podcast. And I welcome all views. And um, and I I know that there's a lot of people out there who uh, are you know against abortion. And I respect your views too. But I hope that in this topic, that if you have a child, and think about if your child is gay or straight or non-binary or has been raped or there's been, you know, incest or there's been something happening as a mindful parent, what would you want for your child? Exactly. Yeah. So in the, so I know people that have got kids that are non-binary at the mm-hmm. moment and it's becoming more and more a thing that kids are coming out and saying this is this is who I am. And so some parents, um, so I'm Jewish, and so some Jewish parents, it's so far off their radar, out of their comfort zone, Um, you know, they think it's something their child's going to grow out of. Well, it's not something that your child is going to grow out of. Your child doesn't grow out of how tall they are or short they are or um, who they are. And so my advice for parents of any kid is just, while you're trying to get your head around it, if you need to go and get help to help you understand what the child's going through, there's lots, I don't know about here, but there's lots of groups in Australia um, that people can join to get support from other parents going yeah. through the same thing. You can go yeah, and we have see. an organisation, our PFLAG, which is an organisation. A here. similar thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that helps yeah. support parents. So I think that that's the first step. If you're struggling with it as a parent, yeah. go and talk to other parents who are also struggling with it and and see if you can get some support for yourself because your child is going to need a lot of support. They're going to need to know that no matter who they are or how they present to the world, that they've got your, you've got their back. Would you say that what was the, if there's any common themes among parents who are learning that their kid is non-binary or gender fluid, um, or gay or whatever, yeah. uh, bi or you know, any kind of Gay is looking really simple at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it actually <laughs> is. There's, uh, yeah, there's, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of categories right now. And, you know, I was learning about um, there are people who are aromantic, there are people who are asexual, there are people who, uh, yeah, there's all these different new categories as we're understanding differences and embracing these differences. Um, and, uh, you know, the other, uh, you know, anyway, there's a lot of different, you know, you know, categories, uh, that we could, we could consider and get into, but what is the process that parents go through? Would you say when they learn for the first time that their kid is trying to come out, 
in this way as okay. non-binary? And how would you help guide them step by step through that process? What would you suggest? So, <clears throat> my my understanding in the background that I've got yeah. and the people that I've spoken to and been in contact with, mm-hmm. it's not they're not going to come to you one day and say I'm non-binary. So mm-hmm. what they what might happen is that your kid comes and tells you in a roundabout way, in whatever way, <clears throat> excuse me, they can that they're gay. Okay. That might be step number one. Okay. And then the child or the young adult, it might take six months, it might take a year, it might take longer for them to come and say to you, I'm not comfortable in my body. Okay. So it's actually a, it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. So in my experience, I might be wrong, but that's how I'm hearing about the anecdotes that that other parents are telling me and friends and family are telling me. And then they might take another six months, depending on the response that they get from their family, they might tell you nothing or they might then tell you that I'm not comfortable being female or I'm not comfortable in my body. Okay. And then what's really important is for the parent to get as much information as they can Mm -hmm. if they accept it Mm -hmm. about how to help their kid. Yeah. So joining organisations, speaking to paediatric endocrinologists, speaking to a psychiatrist because in Australia you need a psychiatric diagnosis before you can go to a paediatric endocrinologist. Yeah. You need a non um a gender dysphoria diagnosis first. So okay. You can't just go off and see somebody and work out what's going to work for your child because yeah. that's where they really need your help. Yeah. They really need your help. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. I'm, I'm gonna show you something. I mean you can't hear it or see it because you're listening, but this is a an interesting uh, you know grid here. It shows gender expression from masculine androgen, feminine, romantic orientation, sexual orientation, sexual desire, romantic expression, yeah, relationship lot. structure, and then all <clears throat> these different orientation identities, asexual, little or no sexual feelings, demisexual needs, emotional connection, bisexual, both men and women, bicurious, curious about same sex, heteroflexible, usually straight, mostly straight, less than bi, pansexual, not limited to sex, gender, or gender identity, aromantic, little to no romantic attraction, and scoliosexual, attracted to transsexual. There's lots of stuff here, right? So your child presents any of these things, you know, to you. Um, what I think would be the worst thing to do yeah. is assume that it's a phase they're going through because that's what I'm hearing a lot, that it's just a phase, it's trendy, they'll get over it. Yes. I don't agree with that at all. And I think that if a parent treats their child dismisses their child and hopes that this would just go away overnight or it's not real, it's because it's on the internet, they've got access to it, it's COVID lockdown, they had plenty of time to play on the internet and it's become a trendy thing, I think they run a real risk of doing harm to their child and alienating their child when the child is needing them the most. I agree. And, and just that's to, what really what it is. And just to show you, to add to the mix, and a couple more, <clears throat> just imagine you have to hold all these things. I think it's important. 
that we are aware of these terms because your kids might use them. Can you put it up on the podcast? Is it well, slide I, I, or something? I, um, not I, now. Not now, but I could. Yeah, we could always get questions and stuff. Yeah. But as I mentioned, another one's called Frey Romantic. This is an interesting one. If you know, so these are terms that I wasn't familiar with until recently. This is when attraction fades after getting to know the other person. So you have this pattern of, (laughs) sounds like most of my dating life, actually, whether it was me or them, you know, gray sexual, any sexual orientation that falls between asexual and allosexual. And then there's a core romantic, uh, which is uh, cannot differentiate between uh, platonic or and romantic relationships. And there's quote, quote, sexual, which is unsure what sexual attraction is. Uh, There's peri-oriented, which is a homo uh, romantic uh, pattern. Uh, So that's another possibility. And so these, these lists are extensive now. I'm growing. And, uh, and, and, uh, and also relationship alternatives, you know, that the kids might be interested in. For example, the new thing is people like kids don't believe in marriage anymore. Yeah. And so living apart together um, is now there's in the United States, there's 14 million people who, um, who are in what we might call a committed monogamous relationship who live apart. But they don't live together. Yeah, they don't live together. They live apart, and but they're committed. Yeah. And they have no interest in living together, and they have no interest in ever getting married. It's a new world. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> so, okay. I, to, so all these terms are ones that I'm still, you know, well, mate, so grasping, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So here you are as a parent, and you're, you're throwing any of these terms, and some of you in the audience are sophisticated. You probably can rattle off 15 more and go, how could you not even know all these by the, by the back of your hand? But because it's all evolving. Yeah. You know, we're going through, I would call it evolutionary consciousness in terms of understanding all the different permeations of love, expression, sexuality, identity. Yeah. There's so many different terms right now. Um, I do believe that we have responsibility <clears throat> as parents uh, and clinicians of working with parents to be on top of some of this evolving language, um, to have words and to, to help give meaning to the experience that people have. And so I do think it's up to us to help stay on top of these new words and these new ways of uh, being in the world as a kid or an adolescent or as an adult. And then um, the one thing I want to add to this is that I think some parents, I think, go through a grief process. Where well, you absolutely... Right, and um, one of the personal experiences I've got is that a sibling of um, a non-binary child said to her mum, I feel like I'm losing my sister. Yeah, yeah, which is sad and painful, right? It's a a grief. Yeah. You're right. And it's a dilemma because on one hand she wants to celebrate her sister for being who she really and is. And does, but has to give up the idea of yeah. having a sister. Yeah, exactly. So, so the siblings go through it, the parents go through it, the grandparents go through it, and and people, some people will lose friendships over it, some people will lose family members over it because it's so new and so out of our range of experience. It's really very new in my world. Yeah. I don't know about you, but certainly in Australia, it's maybe only the last couple of years that it's exploded. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of people, um, 
just dismissing it and saying it's because of COVID and kids yeah. were homeschooling and, <coughs> excuse me, they had too much time online. But that's not a COVID cough. Is that it's a COVID cough? Oh, yes. great. Am I going to get this? Yeah, sure. Great. Oh, so if I have very COVID, generous. so yeah. just know, no listeners, if I end up with COVID, you know where it came from. You're, you're, <laughs> no, I'm testing you're, negative. It's okay. all, it's all Let's okay. hope that the tests are right. But if anyone's yeah. interested in the essence of mindful parenting, um, the book that I used to base my parenting course on is a book by an author called Sarah Naftali, N-A-P-H-T-A-L-I. It's called Buddhism for Mothers, but it's actually not just for mothers, it's for anyone in a parenting role. It's the most beautifully written book and full of wisdom and um, insight onto how to, how to be a mindful parent. It's, it's just the, the most beautiful book. And I used it to create my workshops that I was running. That's regularly. The other book you recommended to me a long time ago is that Daniel Siegel Parenting from the Inside Out. Yeah, that's a good book too. Yeah, you, you yeah, mentioned that one I to did. me a long time yeah, ago. I've got a bibliography of it, but I didn't bring them with me. So I, I didn't come know on. what we were doing. This, yeah, this is very impromptu. <laughs> I, I, like I said, I grabbed yeah. her while she was here. It was hard to, to, to do this with her. She's busy too. <clears throat> um, but, yeah, we, we could say more and more about the topic, but I think, I love what you said though about because I didn't I haven't thought about that enough about what siblings go through. I know there's grief for parents. There's probably grief for the individual changing their identity, you know, and um, in some ways, and and yet freedom in that and relief and relief, right? Relief if they're accepted, huge relief. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's interesting since I've had these conversations and since I've had non-binary people in my life as as models. I'm noticing non-binary people everywhere I go. Yes, yes. I never, I never noticed it before. Yes. But now I got, you know, you can, I can see these people that are coming out as non-binary, and it's, and I always try and take the time, you know, if there's a server in a cafe or you know someone in the street to say something nice to them, you know, like I love, you know, my husband and I went away for a few days a couple of months ago and um, there was a definite definitely the server was non-binary with this gorgeous massive strawberry blonde pink hair and I made a point of saying I just adore your hair and eyebrows dyed the same pink it was Uh fantastic (laughs) and I but I went out of my way where normally I might not have even thought to do that because these people are so marginalized so on the fringes, even though their peers accept them, wider society is a whole different ball game. Yes, and they, their families need them, and they need them a thousand percent right now. Yeah. So please, if anyone's struggling with this, go and find out as much information as you can about it. Join support groups if that will help you understand, yeah. and just love your kids. That's terrific. I love that message, and and. Um, Lynn, just a couple more things before I wrap up soon, but I wanted to ask you uh, if you had any, um, you know, uh, in terms of what you're passionate about right now, this is like my, my colleague who does podcasts, Raphael Cortina, always asks this question, usually at the very beginning of his podcast, and I usually wait toward the end of the podcast, but uh, what do you think you're most passionate about in your life right now? Well, I'm passionate about a lot of things. I'm passionate about um, I'm passionate about still making a difference in the world because 
and I'm passionate about helping kids make a difference in the world and helping kids, young, young people, see their worth because if we don't do that, I, I worry about what the future is going to hold for all of us. Yeah. So we need to be out there at every, in my opinion, at every opportunity, helping people see their strengths, lifting them up when they, when they need it mm-hmm. and holding them when they need space to be held. And if we can all do that in whatever small way we can, and it's, I'm talking about especially with young people because when I was growing up and when you were growing up, Jim, we didn't have global threats. We didn't right. have climate change. We didn't have global terrorism. We didn't have, you know, the atmosphere to worry about. We yes. we didn't have wars around every corner. Right. We grew up in a relatively sheltered, safe environment. Right. In, certainly I did. Yeah. We, I the, grew up in this, Detroit, but it's still true. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. but yeah. the kids these days, they've got, now they've got COVID yeah. to add to it and now yeah. they've got gender identity to add to it and now yeah. they've got... There's so much going on for their li- in their lives. Yeah. So we don't need to give them more to do. We need to be, be with them more and listen to them and yeah. listen to the music in their words and really see if our kids can trust us enough to open up. What Marshall Lang said about listening. What Marshall Lang said. And, you know, exactly. going, going back, there's so many things you said that I agree with. <clears throat> you know, we joke that we're probably from the same tribe. We just don't know it. Yeah. yeah. But um, we, we see things very similarly, not yeah. always, but mostly. And I, um, unless, you know, I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> right, usually you're right. I'm always right. <laughs> That's yeah. right, see? Same tribe. Uh, but uh, she is usually right, by the way. But this idea about self-worth is so important. And I say to parents, you know, when I work with them, that if, if, it, if nothing else, just love and accept your kids as they are. Help them realize their potential and help them recognize their value yeah. and their self-worth. If you can raise their self-worth up, you've done a good job. Parenting. Absolutely. That's the most essential thing. Yeah. You know? And how that nets out is everything. And the other thing is the framework you said about what kids are facing that we didn't have to face. It's absolutely yeah. right. And I'm pretty amazed by this Generation Z coming up. They're extraordinary. Of all the generations I've seen, I'm, I'm most impressed by them. I said this yeah. before. They're so... Um, they're, they have a better work ethic than some of the other generations. They're much more uh, on top of issues. They're much more accepting and aware and uh, conscious. And I think they're going to be like our best generation. And they might help. We've mucked up a lot of stuff. They might help save the planet. You know, I think they're the ones yeah. who could do it if, if we allow them and support them. And I think you're absolutely right. And I think that we have to give them what we can, while we can, to let them know that they're okay just as they are. They don't need to be different. They don't need to be top of the class. They don't need to excel at sport. They don't need to be the smartest kid in the class. They need to be the best who they can be. And we have to help show them that they can do that. Well, that that is the great, you know, there's funny, one of my colleagues who I interviewed on this podcast is a psychiatrist. you know, uh, Dr. Bob Larson, Dr. Bobby calls himself. Uh, and he, he, Rinda's, you know, we're one of the places where I work. I work there. I work in San Diego sometime. And anyway, um, uh, Solana Beach in that area. But in, up here the, in Arinda is a, a little bit of a provincial little town, very competitive, you know, suburb. 
um, of San Francisco and Oakland, if you will, and uh, very competitive for school. And when he was, he said when his kid was in the first grade, uh, he got the preferred teacher. And then the kid, uh, the parent lived next door to him, was upset that his kid got the preferred teacher and said, well, now my kid can't go to Harvard. Oh, this is the first grade. Sake. The first grade, oh, you know, no. and they're already, you know, plotting you know, the <clears throat> Ivy League school experience from first grade, and the pressure on these kids to oh, perform. I was just going to say that is extraordinary. It's you know? crazy. It's yeah. it's just it's unreasonable, and it creates the, our kids have got enough stress. They don't need us to be putting our expectations and our hopes and dreams onto them. They're going to create their own hopes and dreams, and we need to support them in whatever they are. Yeah. Not not put our expectations on our kids to be someone in our image. Yeah, or to or to fill the gaps in our own self our own self esteem challenges. Yeah. You know, uh, to fill the holes within ourselves. You know, um, and I want to ask you uh, just because I'm always curious about this, and I know you're be honest. So I know you love our country in some ways, right? And and there's some things about it that I know you love us really more than anyone in the world. <laughs> but there's things about the United States that still appreciate, right? She's silent. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you know, Roe versus Wade happened last week. Yeah. So um, what's the question? <laughs> <laughs> See, it's hard. What, what do you like about the United States or would you still enjoy or appreciate? And what has been challenging for you coming back after being away for six years or so? Yeah, yeah. Tell, tell me your thoughts. So what I like about, I like the people, you know, most of the people that I know are wonderful, wonderful, gracious, fantastic people like you. Thanks. Um, I like, you know, there's some natural beauty that I like in, in America. Um, there's great intellect and ideas here, which is, is partly because of the huge population compared to Australia where we're a country of 25 million, so it's, you can't compare it. Um, and I like, I like that there is always the opportunity to realise people's potential here. Mm-hmm. That's a great draw card for me, um, the intellectual side of it. What was the next question? So what's, what, are you, what are you concerned about, having been away for six years and coming back here? What are your, what are so your... what I'm really concerned, I think I've already mentioned what I'm really concerned about is the conservative way the country seems to be going and accepting. And I fear that it's not going to stop with Roe versus Wade, like we talked about. It's not a political podcast, yeah. but that, that you're asking me what my concerns yeah. are. They are my great concerns because if that, if controlling people's lives through legislation is the way this country's going, it's, I'm very worried about it. Yeah, very, very, very. That's what I was wondering because you know, the, the rest conservative right wing extreme position yeah. is not one that I completely understand. Because we're we're uh, we see there's this exceptionalism in the United States where we see ourselves as exceptional. Obviously, we're yeah, we're not. <laughs> although we're exceptional, so we're concerned. I mean, certainly, I love this country, and I'm very proud to be an American. I'm, I love I'm patriotic, but I'm also I think that means being uh, critical and objective about what you love and about what you want to be better. Just like if I'm working with a person, I want them to reach their potential. And if they're struggling or they're ill or they're, they're infected with something, you want to figure out a way for healing to occur and, and raise awareness and consciousness. Um, so I just think it's interesting. You know, we learn sometimes more about our own country from people who visit our country, who've been yeah. here, 
come, you've been here many times, you're back yeah. again. And you've seen some of these changes. And you recently had a change in your PM. That's sh- shifting well, we over. did. We had a very conservative government for 10 years who talked the talk but did nothing yeah. and were winding back liberties like is happening here and were platforming in the last, our election was only a few months ago, their platform was you don't, you can't trust the opposition. That's not a platform. Right. Luckily and happily for us, um, our um, moderates, like the equivalent of your Democrats, got elected, but not just the Democrats got elected. A lot of the old-school male, white, ultra-conservative politicians got thrown out of office. They were absolutely shocked. They did not see it coming. And what the Australian population has done in very traditionally conservative areas is throw out the conservative politicians and embrace the independence. So I'm very excited <coughs> excuse me, about the future of Australian politics at the moment. We'll yeah. see what happens because the balance of power yeah. is going to be held by progressive, forward-thinking, fair-minded um, independent politicians who are not aligned with either party. So that's a really good place to be. Yeah. So our government, our dem- democratic-type government that's been elected is going to have to behave themselves because they're going to be made to be accountable. Accountability is a good thing. And last last question, yep. final question, and I really appreciate your time. Um, I love having you here both here but also in this podcast. Thank you. Um, but, Lynn, would you – what's it like to be a psychologist in Australia? I mean, how, how are um, – what is there support? To be a psychologist, the government supported. Are people accepting of uh, yeah. psychology? Can you just share sure. what it's like there? So, psychology was always accepted, but you know, you had to be really unwell usually to go and see a psychologist. But about 2007, 2008, I can't remember exactly, we've got this is another controversial idea, but yeah. we've got universal health care. Yeah. And psychology became available through universal health care. Suddenly it was acceptable for everybody to go and see a psychologist. Your GP would refer you. You get 10 or 15, I think it started out, 15 subsidised sessions a year. You don't need private health insurance for that. So the government would pay um, at least half of the um, billable amount for you to go and see a psychologist. So suddenly everybody wanted to see a psychologist. Yeah. So it's great for the profession that we do. We have a lot of support. We've got professional societies that um, everybody belongs to if you're a psychologist. You also are mandated to do professional development hours and supervision hours per year, mm-hmm. so X number of hours, so that you keep up your accreditation. So there, there is a lot of support there. There's also a lot of politics in it, which mm-hmm. I didn't. Like I avoided it if I could, but sure. you know there is all, always in any organisation there's going to be a political side to it, which you know prefers this camp to that camp and yeah. influences government, which I don't like at all. Yeah. But yes, yeah, it was it's been a great professional, very privileged to have been a psychologist, and Moshe Lang was one of the people that 
influenced me and mentored me to go back and study and become a professional when I was already married with small children. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you did and touched so many lives. And you've touched so many lives. And Lynn, I just want to say, you know, you have this rare combination. You may not realize it, but, you know, this combination of being curious, of having a great brain, of having a lovely heart, of caring deeply about people, uh, both kids and parents and your friends and your family and the planet and the world. And you're just a lovely soul. And Thank I'm, you, Jim. That's yeah. a lovely thing to say. And I'm very and privileged. I just both cry. <laughs> no, yeah, it's true. It's true. You can't you can't see that, but it's true. And I've been very, very privileged, very privileged to um, to have you as my mate throughout these years and my teaching colleague and uh, all that. So thank you so much. Thank you, Jim, and thank you for inviting me to participate today because it was a bit of a surprise, but. You're one of the biggest influences in my professional life and you're a great mate and I just adore you and if I lived here, you'd be getting a lot of referrals from me because <laughs> you're a great professional and I admire so much about you. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thanks, Liz. Take care. Bye-bye. As always, please rate and review. Your opinions are really important to us. Thank you for listening and see you next time.